1692, old little town of Bethlehem. in our service, Lord, uh, this now, Lord, we pray, God, you meet our needs, Lord, and help us, Lord, to be attentive to your word, open up our hearts, Lord, we pray for special needs that might be in hearts of people, Lord, this morning, we pray that you would uh, provide those needs, Lord, in Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, let's sing another song, 105, turn a couple pages over, over 105, 105. That beautiful name. I know of a name that beauty. 
We're still singing about the Lord Jesus Christ. Number four, four and forty-eight. We'll sing. He ransomed me. Oh, 
past. <laughs> it's a truth whether we can sing it or not. <laughs> well, I was wondering if we were all um, sick. <laughs> you know that wonderful name? Isn't that funny how when people get mad, they curse in Jesus' name? Why don't you curse in somebody else's name? Isn't that funny how that works out? It's never in your mother's name or your father's name. It's always in Jesus' name. Ah, oh, and they say it, you know. It's, there's something to that where somehow it just comes naturally to curse in Jesus' name. There's something about that. Maybe there's something behind that. Well, the folks at the Assisted Living had a really good time yesterday, and I appreciate those who came out to sing and uh, was just so nice to them. And afterward, they said such kind things about those who came. Uh, and so we hope to go back again to sing or do something. Maybe I'm just going to talk a lot. Maybe uh, around Valentine's Day, Easter, things like that throughout the year. We want to go back multiple times. And it was such a good time and uh, nice facility. People were very uh, complimentary afterwards. And uh, there's one lady who uh, I'm going to have Danielle go and, and see. And I got her name and phone number. And her name is, of all things, I didn't tell your wife. Jared, I said, okay, this lady who wants to come, her name is Danielle. Her last name is Smith. And she said, oh, my name is Joanne. <laughs> and I said, say again? My name is Joanne. I said, you're not going to believe this, but this lady who wanted to come to see you, her mother's name is Joanne. She said, oh. And I said, she's a Marine. Danielle's a Marine. She did this. <laughs> she was hilarious, this 80-year-old woman. She was funny. And she makes little things around her straw hats like that, you know, very, very alert, everything. But she called yesterday, was on the way to give trash to fishermen, and got a phone call, and we had exchanged numbers, and it was Joanne, Joanne Kim. I said, hello? She says, hello. I said, yes. She said, yes, what do you want? I said, oh, you called me. She said, I did. I don't know what we're into, but... <laughs> That's pretty funny. So, uh, yeah, it was really good. A blessed time. Good time. And, uh, yeah, nice. Just so good. Uh, anyway, so thank you, folks, for donating, uh, you know, the candy canes and cards and things like that, too. So it was a real good time. I really enjoyed it. I, mean, I didn't sing with them, but Hugh sang. Uh, Hugh was back there. Yes. He was back there hiding. He was singing. It was so strange to see Hugh singing. <laughs> He has a good voice, but he's never sung in church. And so, yeah. Don't 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 go up there and say, hey Hugh, I heard you have a nice voice. He'll say, ah, I don't have a good voice. That's what his mother always said to him. Ah, oh, Hugh, you cannot sing. <laughs> but then the mother also criticized him when he was playing baseball. Because he was a catcher and behind the backstop, she would say, Oh, Hugh, come on, Hugh. Why'd you miss that ball, Hugh? All kind of things like that, you know. So Ah, no problem there. All right, well, uh, next Sunday is uh, Christmas Eve, and so we have a morning service. And then uh, Francis got a lot of specials uh, planned and everything. We've seen some Christmas songs, too, so always a good time. And then uh, I hope to go do some caroling, not with a big group, but just a handful of people to go uh, sing over at uh, Tim's house, Bobby's house, and uh, me and my brother's house, too. So we're trying to do that. Just a handful of people. Just let you know, pray about that, and uh, that'd be a good thing. Um, Bobby got discharged from the 
I was in a repair shop. <laughs> the rehab place over at the, that was past Thursday, and he's feeling so good. His voice is strong, and he's able to walk a little bit, and he's happy to get home and uh, in the comfort of his own place. And uh, he's figured out how to walk up and down the stairs safely, and so I'm um, anxious to, uh, to see him again. He'll be surprised, you know. Is, uh, is your mother-in-law or your father-in-law coming? Yeah. Oh, yeah, oh my, I might get them to go and sing over there. Hey. Not Joanne, but... Um, it's Russell. Yeah, Russell. Russell, I know he likes to sing, yeah. Yes. All right, so I look forward to doing that. Uh, and so, let's see. A couple of birthdays. Check your bulletin out. And uh, check out that. Uh, Loretta had another eye worked on. And so she is uh, feeling good. A little bit uh, getting used to it, but she will be able to see perfectly what she's done and so if you um, have any discrepancies in your uh, annual offering kind of thing it's because she couldn't see actually uh, no, I'm, just, I'm just teasing her so you can you can kid at people who are just the opposite of what you say you know but if you say to somebody bless your heart then that's a criticism actually so you don't want to say that because that really means and you're trying to be nice about criticizing somebody all right, well, um, I saw I saw a clip on YouTube last night, early last night, about a church service, black guys preaching because he was, and uh, he was in all kind of crazy, he was very inclusive. He was talking about gay marriages and things. He was saying about uh, trans people being welcome in the church and all that. He says, because the church is called, I think, Transformation Church, he says, he said, hey, our church is called Transformation. So that means we welcome trans people. That was his thinking. And a very large, large uh, group of people. And uh, I was thinking, wow, this is kind of wacko, you know? How you can come to that kind of conclusion because of a word. But uh, they, don't, they don't say anything about anything socially because they feel like oh, it's not nice to say this is wrong or this is right. There's a guy named Nick Freitas. You want to check him out, guys. Nick Freitas. Nick Freitas was uh, Virginia uh, in politics, but he may be out of that now, but he's very articulate. He's a veteran, army veteran. He's got a beard. He's a very manly guy, and he speaks very short about different issues. He's very good, and if you guys want to check out a conservative guy who speaks to the things that we would agree with, uh, Nick Freitas is his name, F-R-E-I-T-A-S, Nick Freitas, good guy to see, and then also um, uh, Nathan has some really good things that he always comes across. He, says, he keeps warning it to me, and I keep failing to afford it to anybody else. But um, uh, he's got some good stuff about men, men things. And this coming New Year, I hope to um, uh, get some stuff to you guys and to everybody in church too about manhood things. Uh, we have we have been kind of beat down to almost uh, lose our manhood in the last few years. And every once in a while, we try to emphasize that it's a virtuous thing to be a man, for a man to be a man. And uh, there's a period of time in the 80s and 90s where it was proper for men to cry, to show empathy and compassion, things like that. And it was okay. But then it kind of went overboard where everybody's very soft, everybody's very feminine. Uh, men are, are not supposed to lead and take stands and be firm about issues. And, you know, we, we should we should never declare what we really believe because we want to be nice to people, and so we need to really look at things this year and uh, take the right kind of positions about issues and be kind about things, but also be firm about things too. 
and we should not be bullied into thinking that we cannot speak up about issues because we might be perceived as uh, unkind or, or hateful, things like that. You know what I'm talking about? I hope you do. So we'll cover some of those things, I hope. And then I want to continue one or the other, Life of Christ or um, Exodus. And so um, I'm enjoying going through both of them at 9.30. And so I don't know I don't know which way to go. I want to continue both of them. So I'm going to try to work that out. Okay, take your Bibles to Luke chapter 2 this morning. Luke chapter 2. It's not the message you think it is from the from the text, Luke chapter 2. I've traveled a lot in the freeways on the mainland, most in the south. I've driven from Texas to Maine, Texas to North Carolina, Florida, Georgia, a lot in the past, and enjoyed, enjoyed driving the freeways. And when you drive on the freeways, you see these big billboards, which is their basic way of advertising on the highways. We don't have billboards here, but we have trucks that are uh, plastered with all kind of signage. But on the billboard, just an effective way to advertise a restaurant, a hotel, things like that. I saw a billboard years ago, and I'll never forget it. It was in North Carolina, in the hills. And this big billboard said this about a restaurant. Come hungry, leave happy. It's a restaurant. Come hungry, leave happy. A chain restaurant. And I thought, wow, there's a message there. Come hungry, leave happy. You know what the message is? When it comes to spiritual food, if you come to church hungry with an appetite, usually you go home happy. If you come to church with an attitude, you want to get something from the Bible, you want to learn something, you want to grow, you want to digest something, usually you get something. If you come to church, if you come to church, because you're a drug to church, generally, you get less satisfied if you're a drug to church. If you are made to come, if you are, quote, forced to come, generally you will not get as much, quote, enjoyment out of a church service, out of the teaching and the preaching, because you, you just really, you, you weren't really with it. You were made to go, you had to be compliant, and you really didn't get much out of it. But if you came because you want to get something, usually you'll leave satisfied. You come hungry, you get, you get satisfied, usually, okay? That's how it works out. So when, when people go to church, when people go to church with a come-hungry attitude, generally they'll get something out of it. They might get one or two things that they needed for themselves, or one or two things are reinforced, a truth, or a doctrine, or a principle, or something about the Christian life, and they'll get something out of it. They'll look for something that they can enjoy rather than just you know, that kind of thing. So let me encourage you today, and every time you come to church, no matter who is preaching or teaching, that you come hungry because you generally will leave happy. Okay? Do you understand that? Yeah. I got someone here who just volunteered to bring some refreshment to church. I said, well, and she brought uh, these uh, blueberry, whatever you call them, friends. I don't know what it's called, blueberry something. It's so good. She only brought 12. And I told her, oh, man. You want to bring something next week? She said, I'd be happy to. I said, well, where were you all of my life? <laughs> and so uh, she's going to rotate and bring that kind of stuff. So that's that's good. And I so enjoyed that. Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. The scripture is familiar. It's part of the Christmas story, but this is not a Christmas message. Luke chapter 2. Matthew, Mark, Luke. And come down to verse number 14. Let's back up to verse number 11. 
Luke 2, 11. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. Ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Verse 13. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Verse 14 says, On earth peace, goodwill toward men. Now, this word is messed up. Would you agree that this word is messed up? Okay, it's pretty messed up. The more you look, the more you find messes. And this word is messed up. Uh, the longer you live, you find out that in your time, at your age, compared to 10 years ago, 20 years ago, the world is more messed up. Now that should not surprise the Christian because the Bible says in Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 3, that in the last days, perilous times shall come. So the closer we live to the coming of Christ, the more things will be messed up. So we're not caught off guard. We're not surprised that the world's messed up. It's just that we're surprised at the intensity of the thing being messed up. But it is the truth that the Bible says things will be messed up in the last days. Uh, evolution Evolution has proved to be wrong in many fronts. On the scientific front, it has been proven to be wrong. But when it comes to life in general, evolution has proved to be wrong over and over again. Because, according to evolution, things begin small, become uh, begin simple, and they become more complex, and things grow bigger, survive the fittest, and everything else. And that's how evolution is supposed to be. With the passing of time, things get better. But you know it's wrong. Because with the passing of time, things get worse. How was God, how was man made in the Garden of Eden? How was he created? Was he created whole, full, with intellect, with emotions? Was he created full grown or not? Full grown. And what happened after they sinned? Did things get better or things get worse? Things, got, things went downhill. So things began up here and things continued to go down. That's the nature of life. Things began good. And things got rotten. Things got worse with the passing of time. So the more time passes, the more things fall apart. Things get worse and worse and worse. The Bible is true. Scientifically speaking, one of the laws, they call it the laws of thermodynamics, the first, second, or third one, things tend to fall apart. Things tend to become more disorganized. Things become to get more, uh, you know, they kind of strip out, fall apart. Uh, law of entropy, well look, uh, things do not get better with time, things tend to get worse with time, things tend to fall apart, things tend to need more maintenance, things tend to need more attention to keep it running as it's supposed to, your car, your car needs maintenance, if you don't maintain your car, the oil and everything else that's required to keep it running, all the, all the, the three or four fluids that's required, if you ignore that, your car will come to a dead stall one of these days, you're going to regret that need to maintain something because it doesn't take care of itself. Um, things tend to fall apart. Metal tends to rust, especially in Hawaii. Up in Michigan, things tend to rust. I've seen cars in Michigan, but because of the salting of the roads for, uh, for, for travel, you see all kinds of cars parked in Walmart, parking lot. Half the fender is gone, half the back. Uh, will, it's all rusted out because of the salt. And there, that's an indication to me that things fall apart without even trying to make it fall apart. That's the nature of life. Uh, if you don't wash the dishes, it piles up. What a nice thing to come home to a dirty pile of dishes in your kitchen. You know, at home, I am the man. You know, there's a man called Stan the Man Musio. He played for the St. Louis Cardinals uh, several decades ago. 
uh, he was an all-star. He had the, one of the highest batting averages for uh, the Hall of Fame players, which is very hard to do. hit over 300. I think he's like 351, which is a great percentage of batting, great player. He's called Stan the Man. At home, I am Cam the Man because I wash dishes for my wife. I do about two or three times a day. I do it to help her. But if the dishes don't get washed, it piles up. Two of us, amazing. Two of us. I get a fork, flip something over, put it in the sink. Time to get another fork. That's how I live. I use six forks a day, just about. I get one glass, drink it, put it back, get another glass. Why don't I just rinse this out? That's how I am. We think it's piling up. And if I don't take care of things, if I don't deliver and maintain things, things look so ugly. Now that reminds me too, that life is like that. If you don't iron your clothes, if you don't wash your clothes, if you don't bathe, you don't smell better if you don't bathe. Believe me. There's only one man that I know that has never used deodorant in his life, and he was a football player. I kid you not. You know him, if I called his name. Went to high school here, elementary school, high school, went to, and then went to college, and, and then he went to the pros, played for Pittsburgh, played for the Jacksonville Jaguars, and he told me, I've known him since he was yeah, high, he used to be our bat boy for softball. One of the Mafala boys, Chris. He says, you know, Pastor, we was talking about something, I don't know what it was, but we, guy talk, guy talk about, men talk about funny things. We talk about food, we talk about sports, we talk about other things, and he says, you know, I don't use deodorant. And I said, now I wasn't about to go with the sniff test. <laughs> but he says, I don't. I said, you kidding me? He says, no. He said, I never used deodorant in high school when I was playing for St. Louis. I said, you gotta be lying to me. He said, no, no. And I never used it in college at uh, Utah State. And I said, no way, don't lie to me. And he said, when I got to Pittsburgh, I never used it. He said, I said, that's not possible. I said, do you sweat? He said, I don't sweat. Is it possible for men to not sweat? Because body odor comes from bacteria. If you don't sweat, no bacteria, right, I suppose? He swears on the Bible, I've never used deodorant in my life. I asked his wife. She says, yep. Amazing. One of the... Wonders of the world, yeah, a man yeah. who not does not use, look, things do tend to fall apart though, and you better take care of things uh, because things are like that. Life does not get better, it tends to go downhill. The human nature factor, the sin factor, the selfishness factor causes things to go downhill, not become better. Something has to interrupt that process to make it better. And that's called Jesus Christ. That's called being born again. That's called obeying the Bible to change the direction of the natural course of life downhill. Life is messed up. Now I'm saying all that as a preliminary statement because I want you to know that one day Jesus Christ is going to come back and he will bring peace on earth. Okay? One day he'll come back and bring peace on earth. The scripture says, Lord to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill to men. Well, peace didn't come to the world when Jesus Christ came to the world. It was still unpeaceful. It was still not the best of conditions in the Mediterranean. Rome was still in control. Caesar Augustus was still living. It wasn't a good place to be. Rome did bring order to the world. It did cut down on crime. It did cut down on a lot of things. It did produce all the good things. That was good for everybody, mainly for Rome. But the world in Jesus' time was not so great. And since he left, went back to this, went back to heaven. Things continue to go downhill. 
and in the last days now, after 2,000 plus years, you think things are better than it was back then? Or maybe in a, in a sense of technology, in the sense of transportation, in the, in the sense of preservation of food, things like that, and mass production. Maybe in that sense, but not in the sense of morality or otherwise, things go downhill, and in the last days, perilous times will come. So things are messed up. But the hope is one day there'll be peace on earth. Now that'd be a good day when there's peace on earth, when Jesus Christ reigns from Jerusalem, wouldn't it? Wouldn't that be a good day when the Lord reigns from Jerusalem? Uh, now look, it, it doesn't get better immediately when he comes back, because when he comes back, that'll be after the tribulation. What happens in the tribulation? Chaos, destruction, things are really messed up in the tribulation. Really messed up. So the Lord comes back, there's a great devil there, there's bloodshed there, and then it's all messed up. Until things are cleaned up, until all the debris and all the corpses are eaten away, cleaned away, everything is sanitized, then you're going to have a different situation. Peace on earth will finally come, and we will be there to rule and reign with Christ, and we'll say, well, it's about time somebody controlled this place. It's about time things are straight now. It's about time there's law and order. It's about time somebody takes charge of this place. You know, when I think about California, I think, oh, brother. I've read so many articles about how good it is to live in California. And I've seen pockets of stories about how great California is. Well, people live in California. I've, I've talked to several who say, I'm about to leave California to go to Florida or Texas. And not only the prices, but the attitude of government there, the attitude of everything there, everything is just so messed up. It hasn't gotten better since Reagan was governor. Uh, Brown, Governor Brown, he promised a lot of things, and he was a two-termer, and nothing got better with him. And then he got, what's his name now in office? What's his name? Gavin, um, that guy, okay, that guy, that guy. Not getting any better. He won't get any better. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, any politician can promise anything that he would like to promise to get into office and stay into office, but he cannot do the things that we would like to have done. But when Jesus Christ returns, things will be unmessed up. Things will be turned around. Things will be changed, and you'll have rule, and you'll have order, and you have law on earth, and you'll have peace on earth finally. When you have law on earth, you have peace. When you don't have law on earth, you don't have any peace. You have chaos, you have a lot of bad things go on underground perhaps, but you won't have law and order. You won't have peace until the Lord comes back. And so when that happens, things will be a lot better. However, we don't need peace in order just then. It's going to happen. You and I need peace now. We need peace today, meaning in our lifetime. We, we, we may not live to see when that happens, but it'll happen. What we need to have is not just peace on earth. We need peace right now, personally. We'll talk about that. We need peace now. I need it, you need it. Peace on earth. My life, your life, messed up a little bit. Stuff happens in our lives, robs me of my peace, robs you of your peace. Um, things cause me to worry. Things cause you to worry. Things cause you to get anxiety. Things causes me to get anxiety. Things cause me to be afraid of the future as it may with you. So you and I need peace today, all right? We need peace today. Not then, we need peace today. 
Is it possible to get peace today? Or is it just for the future? We would just suffer without any peace now and just in our intellect say, okay, one day there's going to be peace on earth. Are we to be content with that? In a sense, yes. But in a sense, no, because I'm wondering if God has promised us peace now before his kingdom comes. Does he give peace now before his kingdom comes? Well, let's take a look here. John chapter 14. John chapter 14. The Lord is about to have his last evening with his disciples. He will soon be betrayed by Judas. He will soon have illegal trials. He will soon be scourged, whipped with the awful instrument of even death, the cat of nine tails, and he's about to be crucified. And he's spent his last moments with his disciples. The words that he tells them are very important to them, and he is not wasting his words. But one of the important things it says in John chapter 14, and come down to verse number 26. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things. Now you want to notice the pronoun here? The Holy Ghost is called a he. That's the personal pronoun. The Holy Ghost is not an inanimate force, like may the force be with you. No, this is a person that the Lord would send in his absence when he goes back to heaven. So the Lord goes, and the Holy Spirit will come and indwell each believer. If you are saved today, you have in you, when you got saved, the Holy Spirit as well as the Lord Jesus Christ. He is in you. That's why your body is called the temple of the Holy Ghost. Then it says in verse 26, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. Verse 27, he says, Peace. Peace. Peace I leave with you. Not peace on earth, good will to men, but peace I live with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. So here's a verse in which I would take and say that Jesus Christ has offered his disciples, and by extension, he's offered every believer right now something that he can give to you, something he will bring one day internationally. But before that time comes, he brings something to us personally. He brings peace. He says, peace I live with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Now, let me ask this question. Well, I won't ask you a question. I'll just draw this. Okay. Here is a is a gift. It's a gift. Now a gift usually has a tag to it that says to and from, right? Okay, so you know you don't know what the gift is, but you know that it is from somebody 
it is to you or to somebody else. So you get the right, it's not yours, you take because it's not to you. So there's a to and a from. In these two verses, you find this. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. You have a, you have something given to you. It is from someone. Give I unto you. I leave with you, I give unto you, I give unto you. So the Lord is saying, I am giving to you something. It's called peace. My gift to you is peace. To you. I'm giving something to you personally. Jesus is saying to his disciples, I am going to give you my peace. It's very personal. He's not saying peace on earth. He says peace in your heart. Peace right now. We all need peace. Because this world's messed up. And in some ways your life is messed up. It's apparently not so messed up that you can't function, but some people have a messed up life. Some of it is self-inflicted. Some of it is because of other factors. But everybody's got something in their life that troubles them. And there's degrees of it. Kids have small kind of trouble. Teenagers have another kind of trouble. Young people have a different kind of trouble. Adults have a different kind of trouble. Employees have a different kind of trouble. Employees have a different kind of trouble. We all have problems. We all have some things messed up in our lives. And because that is so, the Lord has said, I'm going to give you something that you need. You need something. Yes, I need a fur coat. No, you don't. You need a new car. Maybe. You need a new house. Could be. You need a new personality. Impossible. <laughs> you need, okay, he says, stop that nonsense. I'm going to give you what you need. The disciples will be by themselves. They'll be alone. They'll be alone. They'll be without his physical presence. They've been with them for three years plus. They've walked with them. They've talked with them. They've watched the miracles. They've participated in the dispensing of food and fish and bread to the mass of people. They've watched them heal. They've watched them raise the dead. And so now they no longer will have him to talk to, to ask questions. Uh, they're on their own. And so because of that, transition from his physical presence till the time the Holy Spirit will come, they'll be by themselves. And so he said, I'm going to give you peace. Uh, they still don't get in this, at this stage that he'll be crucified. They still, it still hasn't hit them. He knows what's going to happen, but they still are kind of fuzzy about things. And so... But they'll be by themselves. And so he said, I'm going to leave you something that you know. I'm going to give you some peace, my peace. It's very personal. And so because that is true, because he has given peace, the question then comes, how do you get that peace? How do you get that peace that he's offering? How do you get the peace of God which passes all understanding? Well, I'll give you a couple of things here. This is a two-point message, a two-point sermon. Break the homiletical rules. Here's how you can have peace today. Number one. Number one. Oh, let me add this. Instead of giving number one, I'll give you our, our reverses. Number one be the first thing. To have the peace of God, you must first be saved. An unsaved person cannot experience the personal peace that God offers. An unsaved person, according to the Bible, is like a troubled sea. He's like a ship tossed about. He's like he's in a, a washing machine. Can you imagine being in a washing machine? We have friends who are adults now, and some of them have gone on to heaven. But when they were small, uh, when they were younger, I would say they, uh, they, uh, 
newlyweds had a, a small child or two, and we visited some friends up in Maine, uh, Augusta, Maine. <laughs> we drove from North Carolina to Augusta, Maine, and we got to the house, we got the address on paper, no GPS back then, just road maps, nothing like that. And so we drove up to the place, got there at night on a Friday night, as we were supposed to get there that afternoon because of the delays we got there Friday night. It was dark in Maine. It was dark, dark, dark in Maine. The roads go like this in Maine. Not like that. Like It's just like that. We got there. I looked at the address. Look at the house. This can't be the place. Drove up, drove down. This is the only place that could be this address. The house had plastic over the windows. There were no windows. It was unpainted. We could see that it was unpainted. It looked very like much, it was abandoned. I get out, I walk around. This is the address. We sit there thinking, what are we doing here? They said, come. We're here. I don't know where this, couldn't call them. They finally show up, they had gone somewhere. It was the right house. We go inside, turn the lights. And uh, this was an old farmhouse type that they were fixing up as they go. And the guy was a former Marine, and she was the daughter of a Marine, former Marine, at Cape Bay of all things. And so we went in there, we stayed there for a while. And then the two sisters of this nice couple, this, the two sisters always were fighting with each other. They were fighting with each other. So let me correct myself. It was not a young couple. It was a family that we knew in Hawaii, stationed in Cape Bay, moved up there. Hey, if you guys ever come this way, give us a call. You know how that goes. You don't think you're ever gonna go there. And then you do. We get up over there, the two sisters, one's 13, the other one is uh, maybe 12, just a year or two apart. Very fine, I can always jawing each other. Always fighting. The, the, the younger one is the more athletic one. The older girl, she is not so athletic. She's a piano player type, the other girl's a tomboy type, okay? They're kind of a contrasting uh, pair of siblings. And so they're fighting with each other. You know what they do? One day, they get into a big squabble. The parents are gone. We're up there somewhere and they're down and they're fighting. And you know what the girl does? The older girl, she, the tomboy, puts her sister in the dryer. Didn't turn around, but she's about to. And so I might be exaggerating her, her age, but she is small enough to go to the dryer. She's, she did that. And she, what? And she was, it was strange. Finding cats and dogs like that. Now, um, what a what a life to have. There's no peace there. There's no peace there. Troubled sea. People like that, they're like a troubled sea. An unsaved person cannot have the peace of God. He's just tossed about, going back and forth, being swished around. He's like a, a, a boat floating in the water without any rudder or anything like that. He's just messed up. A man cannot have the peace of God if he's not saved. Now that is manifested in several things. It shows up in his pride. It shows up in his selfishness. It shows up in him, you know, being the man or being the, you know, the, the, I, I got everything under control kind of thing. But really that person, life of the party kind of a guy. But internally that person, when he goes to bed at night, that person knows that something's not right. You know why that person's feeling like that? If he ever stopped to think about things like that, if he doesn't fill his mind with stuff on his phone, on his device, on his, if he doesn't, if, if you would stop for a second to think how his life is, uh, he would find out that he has no peace. So everything is filled up with all these different things to keep his mind active and keep him busy 
and he just bypasses this longing to have some peace. An unsaved man has no peace. Ephesians 2 talks about that. He's at war with God. It's called enmity. He has no peace because he's unregenerate, he's unsaved, doesn't know God personally. He cannot have any peace. Well, now let me get to this person got to be saved. So now a saved person, a saved person, a saved person, he is the one not like to address, and he's the one. This is how a saved person can have peace. All right. Number one, he can have peace today. He can have peace today when he remembers what God said. First of all, when we are upset, when we're afraid, and when we are bothered, fear brings its cousins. Worry, fret, discouragement, even panic. Fear doesn't come in by itself. It has siblings. And all these things pile up and it makes us forget what God said. Now, we get rattled, we lose our composure. And I'm saying that a lot of times these things are real, how we feel about situations, the fear of tomorrow, the fear of what, it's very real to people. And I don't ever make fun of that because it's very real. And uh, at that time, we need to remember what God said. He did say, John 14, 26, but the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, when the Father uh, will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance. Whatsoever I have said unto you. So we forget what God said. So it says the Holy Spirit who lives in you, he will get you to remember what he said, what Jesus said. So our issue is when we get all upset, we need to just somehow stop, stand in the corner figuratively, or sit down and get some place where you're quiet, you won't be bothered by all kind of stuff. And you can just stop and remember what Jesus said. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. We need to stop to remember what he said. The Holy Spirit, who is called the comfort of all things, to comfort. He brings all things to your remembrance. What things to our remembrance? He brings back the words of Jesus Christ. He brings back the words that he said to them. And so that you can think about what he said in a stressful time. You can think about what he said when you're feeling very upset about something. You're, going to, you're about to lose it. Wait a minute. Let's stop. Take a breath. Take a breath. Back off. Um, and stop and think about what he said. Remember what he said. That's one way in which you can have his peace. Now, uh, peace on earth is good, but I need peace today. Peace on earth is good, but I need peace today. I need the peace. You need the peace. You know, last week, we did something for Miranda. I got some of the guys together back in the room. We prayed for her, put anointed her with oil. She wanted that to be done because she was so upset about what she thinks is happening with her body with the pain that she's had in her gut area and everything else. And um, she's gone through several tests and she you won't believe how upset she was. And she made me nervous. She made me upset because she was upset. And uh, she'd get up and she'd be bothered by that. And then, you know, she just, now you, you just see one side of her, okay? And, but um, she got to the place where she was very upset about what the doctors may find out. She finally has taken some tests and she uh, has accepted that, okay, I need to know there's, there's something there that the PCP cannot figure out. So she's gonna forward that to the uh, liver specialist and see what, and uh, it's been a week since the doctor said she'll get an appointment, but they haven't heard from her. 
So she's a little bit upset again. So what am I trying to tell you? I'm trying to tell you that we, we are glad for the Lord to come back to set up his kingdom and have peace on earth, but she needs peace today. She needs peace now, as you and I would. It's upsetting. And uh, she's not as upsetting today as she was last week. I'm just trying to tell you this to say that we need to remember what the Lord said. And you know what she does to help her overcome the anxiety, the fear? Is it okay to be transparent to talk about my wife? <laughs> I talk about her a lot. <laughs> it translates to we, us too, you know. But uh, you know what she does? Every morning she does this. She gets out her Bible. She goes to the dining room table. She opens her Bible. She has a little devotional book that she goes through. And she reads it. And she reads her verses. And then she prays. And then at night, at night, here's what she does. This is her routine. I get in bed. She turns around. I massage her feet. <laughs> my toes, or under my toes, or in the arch. I'll do that until she falls asleep. But while she's doing that, you know what she's doing? She's got on her phone a Bible app, and she's listening to the Bible being read to her. She's listening to the Bible being read to her by some robot. <laughs> we think it's Alexander Scorby, but it's not, probably. It's some AI stuff, and she's reading that, and she falls asleep to that. Every night. Every night she falls asleep to that. She's trying to remember what the Lord said because she's anxious. She needs peace. She's going to the right place to get peace. She's trying to remember what God said. He did say, peace I live with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Now, um, I will fall asleep to the sound of rain. So I'll put on my, uh, my headphones and my whatever, and I'll, I'll be listening to rainfall on a tin roof or a stormy kind of thing with thunder that goes for 10 hours, and in about 10 minutes, I'm out. I listen to rain, I'm out. Now, it says, now is the world given, give I peace. I've tried to fall asleep, but listen to other things. It just makes me mad what I listen to. It makes me agitated. It doesn't work. But what works is hearing rain. Ultimately, what helps me to have peace is remembering what Jesus said. Now listen, we're all cut from the same we're all like uh, um, James talks about Elijah was a man of like passions we're all the same in a lot of ways we're still in this flesh we all have some mess in our lives of different sorts we deal with it differently ultimately we will deal with it to get peace by how he prescribed it remember what I told you peace I give unto you not as the world gives I get some relief she gets some relief because when I do something for her. She feels a little bit relief. I have to massage her back. I have to massage her shoulders. Oh, I feel so good. It gives her some peace, but that's not the ultimate peace that she needs. The peace that she needs is not a massage. The peace that I need is not just hearing rain fall. It is soothing for sure. But ultimately, we both need the peace that Jesus Christ gives. So we have to remember what he said. I have peace to give to you. To you, Miranda, to you, Cam, to you, my child of God, from me, I give you my peace. We have to remember what he said. You have to block out some things and dig through those things, dig through all that rubble of this world, 
to get to his peace. And that is what you and I need to do to have his peace. It's there for us. You just got to get it. And so he did say that we have to remind ourselves that our minds have to be sound. When, when, when pressure comes, when upsetting things come, we tend to forget what he said. So we have to, we have to make an effort to remember what he said. Now turn to Isaiah 26. It's a great verse, Isaiah 26. I always think about Isaiah 26 when I think about the mind. I don't think all psychology is bad, but I think a lot of it is. I think sometimes it does some good, but I think sometimes it bypasses the real solutions to real problems. Sometimes I think psychology, uh, they just mask the symptoms and never get to the root of an issue. You gotta get to the root of the problem to solve a problem. And so Isaiah 26, three and four is the root of the problem or the root of the solution or how you and I can have peace. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind, you want to circle the word mind, whose mind is stayed on thee. So I have to remember, as hard as it might be, to remember what God said when I'm under a heavy load, I have to get my mind back to where I remember what he said about peace. That will keep him in perfect peace. I will have God's peace. If my mind is stayed on thee. If my mind is on the Lord, I will have peace. If my mind is on trying to figure out the solution by myself, I may not have peace. If my mind is on worldly ways of solving a problem and not going through God's ways, I may not have his peace. Because, verse number three says, because he trusteth in thee. Verse four, trust ye in the Lord forever. For in the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. So I have to remember what he said. I have to remember now who he is. Remember what he said. Remember who he is. Well, he says in Isaiah, I am the Lord Jehovah and I have everlasting strength. I am everlasting strength. I have to remember who he is. So God is the one who says, I send you peace. And because he is God, he is the Lord, he is the Lord Jehovah, I have to, not have to, but I, I make myself, not make myself, but I remember that I am in the hands of someone who is all-powerful and almighty. I'm in the hands of someone who can do all things, even beyond all that I can imagine. Not that he will, but he can. That alone tells me there's a possibility that God can do something that I think is not possible. I'm not talking about these positive confession wackos on TV that say, speak to your wallet. You're full of money and it's full of money. And that's craziness, all right? That is really such, such false teaching. You are a fool to believe something like that. And speaking of that, let me just take a little sidebar here and tell you this, that uh, they're still at it. These people who say they have repented of their asking for money, then he repented of that. He said, I would never again. He's at it again. He's at it again. It lasted about two weeks. 
That's real repentance, isn't it? I repent. I'll never ask for money like that again. I have grieved the Holy Spirit. Well, if you did, I guess you're grieving him multiple times again. You, 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 you know what? So um, these guys are still, these guys are still playing on the fact that God can do anything. But God never did say, speak to your wallet. You're full of money and you're going to see it there. You cannot create reality because you say something. Paula White, who was one of President Trump's advisors, now President Trump, he has no spiritual sense, okay? Being, being respectful to the president, he has no spiritual sense. He has anybody coming, you know, to advise him. He did have a couple of Baptists advising, which is a better thing, you know? They're more fundamental, more sound in theology than Paula White. Paula White's got a campaign going on. I don't know if it's current, but I think it's uh, maybe November. Every time you have holidays, there's a campaign going on. Give $1,300. And she has some eloquent way of explaining why you'd be blessed. There's three levels, 1,300, uh, 800, and then 300. So top tier, military. She's got it all dressed up so, so convincingly that um, if you want a breakthrough, give me. That's not in the Bible, okay? And so we're not talking about that. When I say God is uh, all-powerful, I'm not talking like that. I don't mean that at all. But I mean God is able to help his children like nobody else can. Now, I do believe in miracles. Not like Catherine Coleman demands it, but I do believe in miracles. God can heal. I believe God can do the miraculous, supernatural. I mean, he proved it, didn't he? That he could raise the dead. But Christians have died. They haven't raised the dead. So there is a consideration and a context to the fact that God can do anything. And to say that don't put God in a box is not quite true because God will do what he thinks is right to do for his children. That gives you the peace of God that everything's okay because if he, if he wants to heal me, I'll be healed. If he doesn't, he has his reasons. That gives you peace. It's not anything out of control. It's just that he's in control. And what he would like to have done might not be the same thing as what you would like to have done. But he will do the right thing because Psalm 116 tells us this. Turn over there. Psalm 116. Verse number 5. Here is why when we remember who he is, we can have peace. Not because we twist his arm or rub him like a magic genie lamp and get what we wish for but because he is this Psalm 116 verse number 1 these are good verses here Psalm 116 verse number 1 I love the Lord because he hath heard my voice and my supplications because he hath inclined his ear unto me therefore will I call upon him as long as I live now if God ever answers some of your prayers, you would say, this is true for you. I love the Lord because he answered my prayers. That'd be very appropriate. That'd be very Christ. I to say, I love you, Lord, because you helped me. That'd be very reasonable and very, very fitting to thank God and love him more because he helped you. Verse three, the sorrows of death compass me and the pains of hell get hold upon me. I found trouble and sorrow. Then called I upon the name of the Lord, O Lord. Isn't that a beautiful name we heard today? I called upon the name of the Lord, O Lord, I beseech thee. Deliver my soul. Verse 5. Here it comes. Gracious is the Lord. Remember what God said. Remember who God is. He is gracious. 
Remember verse 5 again. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Remember that God is righteous. Whatever he decides to do with your prayers, remember that he would do the right thing because he is righteous. People get mad at God because they prayed about something very sincerely. They maybe even fasted and God did not answer their prayers. They believed. And so they're mad at God. Now they disavow their faith and they, they're not atheists, they say. Or they no longer go to church at the least. And they no longer believe the Bible. And they say they no longer read it. They no longer want the kids to go to church because God did not answer their prayer. God let them down. But he's righteous. And if he's righteous, would he not do the right thing? He would. There's a story about a man. I didn't bring it with me, but his name is, uh, I'll tell you him just a minute, but he is from uh, Pennsylvania, and he got into several accidents, not because of him. He got well in hospital, rehab, uh, surgeries, everything else, and the last thing that happened to him was he went to Kona. He went to Kona to live there or something. He got into a big accident, and he put, it, put him in traction, and uh, he's messed up. And then he says this one day from his hospital bed, Why, God, why did you do this to me? He's very mad. His name is Jim. Why, God, did you do this to me? He's very, very mad. He's upset. Well, that's a tough one right there. Why did you do this to me? I'm not sure God did it to him. But he's upset because he prayed for relief of pain and he still has it. He prayed for... Didn't get healed. He prayed for it, though. And so... It's really tough. I would just simply say, remember what God said. I would simply say, remember who God is. He is gracious. He is gracious. He is righteous. And He is merciful. I remember that about God. Gracious is the Lord, merciful and righteous. He's all powerful. He's the Almighty. And He's able to quite do, do quite some things that He uh, nobody else can do. We, we, we put a lot of faith in doctors, which is okay. Especially it's good that they are available. But uh, God can do what no doctor can do. Uh, remember that He is faithful. The verse that I like to think about, and you should think about as well, when it comes to remember who God is, that He is faithful. Psalm 46, verse number 1. 46, 1. If you can quote it right now, I will give you a candy cane. Psalm 46.1 God is a refuge a very present help in time of trouble. You know what that talks about? That talks about God being faithful. That he can step in right away when necessary, when he's needed and he will help someone through that hardship time. Uh, when Nathan was about that big, his hair was getting long. looked like John Lennon. looked like uh, one of the Beatles. So he took me to a haircut down in, in uh, Chinatown somewhere where I used to get my haircut when I was way younger. I took him there. He was afraid of the seat because he watched people getting a haircut. He was afraid of the sound. He was afraid of the, the tool. And so he didn't want to get a haircut. He was a little kid. So I had to do something. I was telling him, oh, no, it's not going to hurt. Look, see, it's not hurting. He's not crying. You see? Yeah, I don't want to go. So you know what I had to do? I took the barber. Uh, I'm going to sit with him and hold him in my lap where he cut his hair. He said, okay, no problem. And when I did that, and they strapped him with the, the, the uh, sheet, no one began to cut his hair. He was okay because I was sitting right next to him. You know what God does for us? He gets in the barbershop chair with us. He sits with us. 
a very present help in time of trouble right now. So you may not be spared trouble, but he is right with you through the trouble. So you can bear it. You can go through it. No one is saying that you will never have trouble if you have faith in God. But the Bible is saying he will go with you presently right now through something. You can handle it. Because when you're weak, he is strong. Second uh, Timothy 1.7 tells us, For God hath not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. So when you are messed up, try to keep your mind sound. Try to remember what God said. Try to remember who he is and remember God's plan. The verse that is so well known, I'm almost embarrassed to put it on the board because you ought to know this verse. That's a verse you ought to memorize by heart. Whenever you have a stressful, anxious time, remember that verse because that verse teaches because you're God's child, if something happens that you don't like, something happens that's bad, you prayed about something that happened and it happened, you prayed for something too that happened and didn't happen, listen, tragedy, accidents, injury, whatever it would be, loss of job, something that surprised you and shocked you even, wife left you, what a surprise, what a shock, husband left you, all kind of things happen in this lifetime. So sickening and so sad sometimes. Such a surprise and shock to people. When things happen like that, you have to remember God's plan. Not that God planned that to happen. I'm not saying. I'm saying through the evil, through the hardship, through the bad stuff, God can turn it around and make something good out of it. The embodiment of Romans 8.28, we know that all things work together for good. The embodiment of that is found in the book of Genesis chapter 45 and Genesis chapter 50 when it talks about Joseph how God allowed him to go through what he went through so that he could be raised into power and thus save his family and save the whole world from starvation because he has had the wisdom to stockpile all this prosperity of, uh, and then in, when the family would come. And so God set him up there so that he could save lives. But he went through some really deep water and I'm not these words people go say when they people go through some hardship, but he went through that. He went through that. And he didn't know Romans 8.28. But we see Romans 8.28 in the story of Joseph in the Old Testament. There's a man who was at the Adirondack Golf Club in Pennsylvania. A golfer teed off on the 18th hole. Now when you tee off, you use a driver, okay? A driver is a big club. The club is big. like that compared to a pitching wedge which is kind of like that the idea is that the bigger this head is the lighter it is you can really whack that ball a driver is for the number one tee you tee off hit it as hard as you can as straight as you can which is rare this guy teed off on the 18th hole the ball went crooked it hit a guy on his right temple his name was logan the ball hit him the drive hit him on his right temple. The guy cracked that ball, boom, and that thing flew, I don't know how many, 200 plus yards, and hit him right over here. Knocked him out. He got medical attention. A nurse said, hmm, this is strange. Looked at his throat. There's an unusual lump below his throat. He says, she says, you need to get a hold of your doctor, your PCP, and have this lump checked out. 
So she went to tend to him for the hit on the head, and in that process, saw this lump on his throat. And she went to the doctor, checked him out, the doctor says, take x-ray, you have malignant tumor on your thyroid. And so, strangely enough, that was not discovered until he had gone to the doctor because of the lump on his head. So something unrelated discovered something that was a danger to him. The guy's okay now. And so the golf ball that hit him actually saved his life. Can you see that these little things remind us that all things work together for good? A setback, a disappointment, a heartache, these two many times for the Christian, something better than that? It does. So when you, when you need peace, remember these three things. The first one is, remember what God said. Remember who God is. Remember God has a plan that's often beyond our comprehension. But this plan, because He's righteous, it is always good for us. The saying is this, it is always good for us and it's always for God's glory. It's a true statement. And so, peace I live with you, my peace I give unto you. None of the world giveth, give unto you. There'll be peace on earth one of these days, but I need peace today. And we can have it. Let's pray. The Father, I thank you for the Word of God, which reminds us of these things that is quite basic. We, we quickly forget the basic things because of stress, because of trauma, because of anxiety, because of fear. Many things cause us to forget these basic things. And I pray today that you remind us that you are still with us to give us what we need, peace. Help us to trust in you when it just seems like it's the last thing we need to do. Forbid us, or take, forbid us that we take things in our own hands and mess things up even more. We'll make the mess messier but we don't seek you. So Lord, we thank you for the Bible and we thank you for the wisdom that it gives and for the encouragement it gives and for the direction that it gives. Lord, give us peace in our hearts. This is the season of peace, goodwill to men. However, this world still has so many troubles. They can't find an answer unless they come to Christ. And I pray that you'd help us to remember that. That if people want peace, if people can uh, will get peace, it'll have to come to the cross. So Lord, help us to remember that. Be a ready witness for you. And help us, Lord, to keep our eyes on you and not get caught up with the things of this life that distracts our minds from being sound. And help us, Lord, in this. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.